Well, just by uh, way of quick announcement here, uh, our Vineyard 101 is going to be next Sunday afternoon. So if you're brand new or newer to the vineyard here and haven't had a chance to spend a few hours with myself and my wife Karen, we'll just tell you all the funny stories about the church and get you oriented to the place around here. Uh, you know, let you know kind of how it all works, how you can become more involved if you choose to. You're always in control of that. Um, but that'll be next Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. It goes till 6. We have some pizza. We have a great time. And uh, so you just need to sign up for that so we know how much pizza to order or whatever we're having. Sometimes I say that and it's on different food. Um, but uh, go ahead and check that and drop that in the offering basket when it goes no, no. Too late for that. Uh, drop it off at the front desk out there. And or just tell somebody out there you'd like to sign up for Vineyard 101. It's all on this little insert here. Okay. Well, we want to spend a few moments in prayer before I uh, preach and just pray. We have so much going on, and you guys are praying so well. I just uh, am struck with that every now and then, how well you pray. You know, there's certain things that I think a pastor who's paying attention can kind of pick up on. And uh, you guys are good prayers. And you pray at all kinds of different times. And you pray in groups and you pray alone. And, and I can tell that there's just a lot of good prayer going on in this church. And so I commend you for that and encourage you to stay with it. You're never doing the wrong thing when you're praying, right? All right, so... Just stay with it and pray for the things that occur to you. Pray for things you know about. Just ask the Lord to speak to you about what to pray for, and he'll tell you. He'll draw you right into really wonderful places where you can, you can pray. You know, last week we had a terrific time of prayer for uh, people who had, you know, diagnoses that were life-threatening, and it was fantastic. And it was partly, but not wholly motivated by, but partly motivated by Lisa Tuggle, uh, Colin Tuggle, our executive pastor, his wife, has uh, been diagnosed again with breast cancer. and She's a breast cancer survivor uh, from several years ago. And uh, so we're praying for her and pray for lots of others. Uh, Lisa will have some surgery tomorrow, serious surgery tomorrow, actually. I want to get right to this, so keep her in your prayers tomorrow. And to top it all off, Colin has the flu, 104-degree temperature in bed today. So <laughs> just couldn't have possibly come at a worse time for him, you know. So uh, we got some praying to do there, but, you know, we've, it's, we've had people, all kinds of people that are breast cancer survivors in this room right here now, and, and we always need to be praying about these things, and sometimes for one reason or another, they sort of get our attention a little more than the other, but everybody's important to us. Everybody's diagnosis is equally important to us. So I wonder if we could just take a minute just to pray for... You know, anybody who's just dealing with some kind of uncertainty, a, un, you know, of a, a, th- a threat, physical threat that the, the enemy is posing against you or some kind of illness or something. So, Father, we bow now and we release our faith. And I thank you so much for this church and for the praying nature of this church. These people, these people, they just love you and they talk to you and you talk back to them. And I appreciate that so much. And you hear our prayers. This this very morning is, is the result of thousands of prayers that have been prayed over the years, and we thank you for the way that you are a God who hears our prayer. We thank you for how you have heard our prayer for so many over the years who have been 
seriously sick in one way or another, and you have, in some cases, touched them with unexplainable kinds of healings and miraculous recoveries. In other cases, you have taken them and guided them to the kind of treatment places that have been so good for them. But in either case, Lord, we give you all the praise and glory and honor. And thank you. And thank you. I thank you for those who are in this room right now who are living reminders of your grace and healing power. And we pray, Father, for all those who have these uh, kind of issues and situations in their lives today. And we hold them up to you now as one flock, one group of people who are bound together by bad news, maybe, or bad diagnosis or just a troubling word, and we lift them up to you now. And Lord, maybe it goes beyond the physical. Maybe it goes beyond that to some people who have, you know, learned that their marriage is over or their job is ending or something sort of hovering over them, and we lift them up to you as one one flock, Lord, now. And we ask you to move by the power of your Holy Spirit, the victorious power of the shed blood of Jesus, his triumphal uh, resurrection, all these things, Lord, we, we pray now for them in his name. Amen. Amen. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. So we've been working through lately some of the I am statements of, of the Bible. And uh, we've been working through the I am statements of Jesus in particular when Jesus said, I am this and I am that. And our interest in it lies mainly in the, the fact that, you know, God described himself or named himself in the First Testament as I am. And so everything proceeds from that. And so when Jesus came and started using these incredible, audacious statements, he really uh, got the attention of his, uh, of his, of his adversaries. And uh, when I look through the Gospels, the four Gospels, I can find 18 or maybe even 20 different statements of Jesus in which he said, I am this and I am that. And in each of these cases, Jesus gave us an essential look into his nature. This is so critically important for us to get. It's like Jesus is kind of letting us peek under the robe a little bit and see his glory, you know? It's like, peek, (laughs) and his glory comes out. And the nature of Jesus is revealed to us in these I am statements. And it's so important for us as believers, as disciples of Jesus, to, to let these I am statements come in. Because it's the nature, listen now, it's the nature of a person that defines our relationship with them, isn't it? Did you hear me? It's really the true nature of a person that defines our relationship with them. It's who they really are when they're not trying to be somebody. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you like me can sort of be somebody better than you really are for a little while? Raise your hand. But then, <laughs> then you forget, <laughs> and, and then you, you, you default back to your normal self. Is that right? And, you know, I pray that by the action of the Word of God in you and the Spirit of God living in you, that, that that nature is improving. It's being sanctified, as the Bible says. And you're seeing more and more of the fruit of the Spirit emerging from your life, very naturally, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, these kind of things. And that, that, that you're noticing that this is happening without trying to do it. Because that means that your nature is changing. Your nature, your nature is substantially growing. But... In reality, it's, it's the true nature of a person that over time will define your relationship with them because eventually their true nature will come out. 
And as try as, try as you might to give them the benefit of the doubt or create opportunities for them not to be that way, uh, in fact, we, we live by our nature. And so when Jesus is showing us these I am statements, he's showing us something about his nature. I mean, I wouldn't say that, you know, Jesus had to try to be good. It's not quite in that way, but he's showing us who he is. Therefore, it, it characterizes the kind of relationship that we're going to have with him. Does that make sense? So that's why I, why I think it's critically important. Um, it's, it's, it's part of why living as a Christian cannot be seen simply as a matter of changing our behaviors. It kind of comes off that way sometimes, doesn't it? You just got to stop doing that and start doing these things. And if you can work hard at it, eventually you can modify your behavior in such a way so that you begin to resemble something that looks better. And that's kind of how the Christian message comes off. But it's, it's the utter opposite of what Jesus was giving us. Jesus said, what I want to do is I want to invade you. I want to indwell you. I want to come and I want to take control of every cell of who you are and let my life live through you so that your nature actually becomes changed. You're looking skeptical. So before we get to the John passage, look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is in your New Testament. It's about that far from the back, so it's not too far from the back. So if you don't know, it's okay. Where, you know, if you don't know where it is, it's okay. Um, it took us, everybody in the room, a long time to get there, and there are people in this room who have been here a long time who couldn't tell you where Ephesians is. Um, they're just pretending to find it quickly now. <laughs> Some apparently aren't even looking. Some are just letting their wives turn to the page. <laughs> Effective delegation, very nice. <laughs> oh, I could, that could go so many wrong places. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to I show you something about nature, and then we'll get back to the talk about Jesus. It's all, it's all time-sensitive. We'll be fine. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As, as for you... And he was, this is Paul talking to a group of people who are now Christians. So they weren't Christians because nobody was. And now they are. And he says, as for you, these Gentiles, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Why? Because that's how we come. We come dead. I know our bodies are moving, but our spiritually we're dead. We come dead. In which you used to live, so we're active at it, in which you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, see it's a universal condition, this coming broken, all of us also lived among them at one time. Paul's including himself when he says us. And here here he was, a super Jew. And he says, "I, I was that way too, didn't know it. He said, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So that was the nature of our lives. It was the course of our lives. But look what happens next. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. So by nature, by the nature of the human condition, the broken sinful condition, we are born on the wrath side of the equation by nature, by nature. But, I love that, but, but, that says something is going to be an exception to this or somehow change it, but because of his great love for us, there you go, all of what's about to happen to your nature is motivated by God's love for you. Okay? Because he has effectively has a wrath on sinful humanity because he's holy, he's righteous. 
This is his justice. But he says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, mercy, say mercy, mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So our nature changed. We had a dead nature, object of God's wrath by nature, and because of God's love for us and the mercy extended to us through Jesus, and you responded to that, so he made you alive. You, you came dead, now you're alive. So this explains some of the difference you're, you're experiencing. It is by grace you have been saved. So you can't do this on your own. There's no way. You, you don't even come with the material, the raw material to change your nature. You're born broken, and, and you don't come with the capacity to fix yourself. But good news, Jesus came to fix us. It is by grace then you have been saved. And God raised, past tense, raised us up with Christ and seated, past tense, us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So effectively, your nature, you're born as an object of God's wrath. You're born following your passions, your desires, your sinful desires. You're born that way. But because of Christ, your nature has changed, so you're not here anymore. Now you're here. Raised us, seated us with God in the heavenly realms, and seated us, seated us with him uh, with Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, so we're seated there, you know, in the kingdom realm, but in the coming ages, you like this part, Pat, in the coming ages, in the coming ages, in the coming ages, <laughs> it's coming, is it coming? It's coming. In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us by Christ Jesus. What we're getting right now, when you have those Holy Spirit moments with God, that's like a crumb on the floor compared to what's coming. That's like a crumb on the floor compared to what's coming. Now, I've been, I've been totally knocked out by these crumbs. I think I'm going to spend all of eternity unconscious. Because it says what's coming is incomparably greater than what we've already experienced. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. Look, how did we start this verse? You were, you were dead, you were by nature objects of God's God's wrath, and now he says, for we are now God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So there's there's a fundamental flipping of the nature of a person because of the work of Jesus. So now, as we begin to try to walk this thing out, don't try so hard at being a Christian. You don't hear very many preachers say that, I know. Don't try so hard. What you want to do is you want to invite Jesus to continue to change the nature, change the hard drive inside of you so that you act as a Christian, so that you act in the ways that are consistent with the indwelling of Jesus inside of you. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He didn't say if you try to bear fruit, you will bear much fruit. He said if any man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. You getting this? So it's the nature. It's your nature that God wants to change. And you say it sounds kind of scandalous to tell people not to try. Shouldn't we try while we're waiting? No! Because if you try, you will settle for your own success. If you try, the harder you try, I pray to God you're not successful. Because you'll be, you will settle for your own success. And that becomes an artificial person. It's the nature that needs to be changed. 
And Jesus came along and he made these I am statements. He says, I want to show you my nature. Why? Because I want to live inside of you. And to a large extent, his nature becomes our nature. So that I'm persuaded that out of all the statements I have seen, the I am statements of the gospel, the only one that we can't expect to be living through us is this first one, I am God. We don't ever get to be God. We, we don't get to be God. We get to be indwelt by God. But all of these other things, we have a capacity for Jesus to express in a very real way through our own natures. I am. So Jesus makes these I am statements and they reveal essential truths about his inner nature. And why was he doing this? Do you remember? Let's go back to John now, which is our principal passage. Do you remember why he was doing this? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Does anybody remember why Jesus was troubling, going to the trouble of making this argument? Talk amongst yourselves. Look, read till you've come up with an answer. Don't give me math. Don't give me numbers. Come on. You guys know. Pardon me? Thank you, Carl Weidman. You may go. Congratulations on your new baby, by the way. Two girls in a row. <laughs> I do. <laughs> because the Pharisees were questioning the nature of Jesus. And so he starts making these, well, here's who I am, here's who I am, here's who I am. I am God. I am the light of the world. Last week, I am the gate. You're going to move you from one reality to another, and you're going to pass through me. Today, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We'll start in verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, he said. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, that I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. That'll blow your mind. So many directions you can go with that. I don't know the right answer. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. And by the way, can a, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Which was the whole thing that happened in the midst of this argument, right? Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The context is he's finishing the debate. Four things he tells us about himself. I'm God, I'm the light of the world, I'm the gate, and I'm the good shepherd. What's the impact of this for us? What does it mean for us? Well, when he said, I am the good shepherd, I think he's telling us that God desires to be good toward us. God desires to be good toward us. I just think there's way too much preaching that has God angry with this sort of two-by-four with a nail in it, just waiting to catch you doing something you're not supposed to be doing, and it's kind of this behavior modification God. Stop doing that. Bam, 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 bam. 
Look, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and so if he was going to pay us, we'd all be dead, right? There's got to be something different than that. And with a consistent witness of the Scripture is that God loves us. God loves us. It's because of his love for us that he sent his son Jesus. And he desires to be good toward us. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Good. He says, just try me. Just come close. If you come close to God and it's not good, you haven't come close to God. Did you hear that? If you draw near to God and it turns out not to be good, you didn't draw near to God. Because Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher. And he said, why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. God in his perfection is good. Some of us have had some rare good moments with one another, right? Where something happens where the best of our nature merges with the best of someone else's nature and we're in some kind of a great good space. And yet that, that hardly compares to the goodness of God coming flooding into our lives in times of adversity, in, time, in times of tragedy, in times of difficulty, in times of uncertainty. Just invite the goodness of God. Would you just come and be good here among us? Since it's the essential nature that God is good, it's part of his nature, it's the only thing he can be. If God were not being good, he would temporarily not be being himself. Since, since it is part of the nature of God to be good, then anything we ever receive from God is always good. Now, how many of you have been through some tough times with God? You've been through some tough times in your life, and you're like, this doesn't feel good, but it is good. It is good. And that's when you sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, so that I can see the good thing that you're doing. How many of you, like me, have been through a time in your life that you didn't think was good, but then after it was all over, that was good. Anybody? Just me? Because God is always good. God is always good. So even the hard stuff, even the fast pitches that come across the plate from the Lord are good. They're good. It's all he knows how to be because it's his nature. So I think that's the first impact of Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. I think secondly, it's that God desires us to be sheep toward him. Not sheepish. Sheep. You have your sheep voice? Let's do that. Maybe it'll pick up on the tape and somebody... Come on. You guys are pathetic. Psalm 100... In your Bibles, my favorite spots. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, the Bible says. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, what? The sheep of his pasture. We are the sheep of of his pasture. It goes on. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. The gates. Now you're getting this? The gate that we talked about last time. The gate. You come in. Pass through. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. Told ya. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know, I've read various commentaries over the years about the sheep metaphor in the Bible. 
And I'm persuaded that most of them are written by people who have never been around livestock. <laughs> They're really romanticized and stuff. You know, and, you know, Karen and I have to admit, we've never raised sheep. We're presently raising cattle and horses, and we've raised also hogs and chickens and the whole thing out on our little farm out there. Uh, we've never raised sheep. But you know what? Livestock are livestock. And they... There's two things about the livestock and the sheep that I think that we should think about for ourselves. First of all, they are totally dependent. Sheep are totally dependent on the shepherd. Sure, they can possibly fend for themselves if all the conditions are right. But you know, those, those calves and those horses every day, you know, I get up early to pray. It's funny. I get up early to pray, and I walk around my house when I pray, and the lights are on. You know, it's still dark, and I'm walking around. And our pasture kind of goes along one side of our house. And there's a big window there. And I walk by there. And I, walk, I always walk when I pray. I'm just not, a good, not good at sitting still. And I walk and pray. And as the light begins to come up, there are always two horses standing there watching me. <laughs> they really are. And it's, so it's, it becomes distracting. It's like, just a minute for crying out loud, I'm talking to God here, you know. But they're so dependent. They're just waiting. They're just waiting for me to put on all my stuff and come out and give them hay and do what needs to be done. But they're dependent. And a sheep is dependent on the shepherd. A sheep is dependent on the shepherd. A sheep also has a very uncomplicated relationship with the shepherd. Very uncomplicated. Very very simplistic, if you will. And I want you to think about how this, both of those things, dependence and simplicity, go against our normal nature. Because our normal nature is to be independent and complex. Our normal nature is to be independent. I can do it. I'll let you know if I need help. Yes, don't raise your hand. And the other thing is complicated. You know, we are just good at complicating the simple, are we not? God says this, and we, for, because of 17 reasons, we say it's not what he meant. And so I think when God calls us to be sheep toward him, He's, he's inviting a change in our nature. That unless he changes my nature, I can't become dependent on him and simplistic in my relationship with him. I just see a lot of people who are stuck in places of trying to figure God out. And they think when they figure God out, they'll have a relationship with him. Sort of complicating the simplicity of a God who says, I want to be your good shepherd. Third, God desires to have a largely non-religious relationship with us. Here's how I think that. When Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, he was really messing with these Pharisees. I don't know if you know this or not, but shepherds were considered, among others, to be unclean by the Pharisees. <laughs> shepherds were unclean. You know how they had all this clean and unclean, cool and not cool, in and out. They had all this stuff going on. They had all these lists and categories. And shepherds were considered to be part of the unclean batch. And so when Jesus said to them, oh, by the way, I'm God, I'm the light of the world, I'm the gate for the sheep, all right, you're starting to make me nervous, and I'm the good shepherd, he said, I am God coming as an unclean. And he violated the categories of their religion again. He broke into their religious safe and he stole from them. He stole their cherished prejudices. That shepherds were unclean. How could, how could the Son of God, how could Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, call himself a shepherd? He was unclean. 
He didn't fit in with their religious paradigm. And I believe that uh, Jesus chose this shepherd imagery intentionally to offend them. To offend them. Why would Jesus offend them? Because he loved them. Because he loved the Pharisees. And he had to break in because he knew that they were dying. This is like, this is like spiritual CPR he's given them right here. They're dying. They're gasping for their last breath. They're living on religion and rejecting Jesus. And he's giving them CPR. I'm the good shepherd. I think he chose that on purpose. Because he said, uh, you know, a shepherd has a relationship with his sheep. It's not about a religion. Do you see? Do you see the systemically hypocritical nature of religion in this? That at the core of religion, it's hypocritical. It has to be. Because nobody can ever live up to the, to the rules of their own religion. Nobody can do it. Nobody can do it. And so, so it, has, it has hypocrisy written into it. One has to pretend that they're being good at their religion when no one can. But it could never be more clear than in this good shepherd thing. Why? If you think about the religion of the Pharisees, the Pharisees needed the shepherds to do their job so that they could have lambs to slaughter for their religion. Do you see the hypocrisy of this? You're unclean, but we need you to do your work. We hate you. No, you can't come in. But we need you to do that so that we can have the lambs to slaughter for our religion. You know, when I was a young Christian and trying to sort it all out and not do a very good job of it, and in rural Michigan, at that time, you know, 35 years ago, there was a lot of talk about you don't work on Sunday. I don't know if any of you ever grew up in any of those little, little pockets, but you don't work on Sunday. You, don't, I, you know, I was, a, I was a nurse's aide at a nursing home, and it's like, you know, oh, that's going to be tough. I think these people need people every day, pretty much. And, you know, you could kind of get away with it, but you were, there was always this tension you don't work on Sunday. And one of the things that just frosted me, I was sure I had this figured out, was that these people who seemed, many of them would go out to eat after church. And it was like their religion required somebody to, you know, they, they needed people to work on Sunday, but they condemned them for it. And these are good people. These were good people who taught me the scriptures but just caught up in the religious pressure. I remember preaching one of my first service sermons was softball on Sunday. <laughs> because it got to the point that you couldn't even play softball on Sunday. It was work. It was fun. It was fellowship. But do you see that religion requires hypocrisy to survive? And I believe Jesus came not to start a new religion. I've said this so many times, but to create a restored relationship. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, We like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. To restore the relationship. If you feel like you're not getting very good at the religion, then I praise God for you. But if you feel like you're not drawing close in a relationship, then I pray for you. That's the nature of the thing. What goodness of God, the good shepherd, do you need to receive today? What goodness of God? 
You know, you just might need a dose of God's goodness. As his son, as his daughter, through the shed blood of Jesus, you, you may need just a dose of his goodness. What goodness do you need to be able to see in the midst of something that doesn't seem very good right now? You just ask God to mercifully open your eyes so you can see that he's at work, he's got this, he's got this. In what ways do you need to surrender yourself to being a sheep? And going, okay, Lord, I, I, can't, I, I have this huge curiosity to try to figure all these things out, but I'm just going to embrace, I'm going to ask you to embrace me as I am in the simplicity of my unknowing. In what ways do you need to seek the good shepherd for specific care in your life today? If he's the good shepherd, he's there, he has come, the good shepherd, my sheep know me, he said, I know them. In what ways do you need to ask him for something specific? Lord, we bow now and uh, thank you for this time together as believers and pray for the continuing power of your Holy Spirit to be here at work among us as we, we just take a few minutes to respond to you and pray for one another. We thank you for coming and revealing yourself to us in the fullness of who you are. And we pray now, Father, that, uh, that your Holy Spirit will be very free and feel very free to come and to minister to the needs of your sheep. We are the sheep of your pasture, Lord. We, we have no other God, and we just pray now that you'll come and move among us. I'd like to ask some of our, uh, uh, some of our prayer ministry people to come on up and make yourselves available over on the sides over here. And uh, be here to pray for people who um, just would like to receive prayer. And you could come to these people for whatever's going on in your life. Whatever's going on this morning just want to draw near to him. Let's stand together, church. Prayer ministry people, come on up. If you'd like, uh, like to receive prayer, then just come on up.